You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Don't Touch That Dial, recorded on Sunday, August 6, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. We're in Mark's Gospel in the fifth chapter. Welcome, first-time guests um, here in Catanning, there in Indiana, in Freeport, in Petrolia Valley. My name is Mike. Glad you're here with us. Mark, chapter 5 is where we are today. Before we get to that, I just want to thank you guys. Uh, You can see in your bulletin or brochure, whatever you call that piece of paper, how much we raised for the least of these, which is our Samaritan's Person Initiative to help those suffering in the Sudan to get food, food, just to get food and the gospel. And the total number we have is uh, right in front of you. Uh, I'm only mentioning it, 10,740 and 13 and 73 cents for two reasons. One... Because last week it was 60 cents, which means somebody added 13 cents to their check. And, <laughs> I mean, that's going the extra mile, you know. Can almost see a couple fighting over this. Can't we give more? We only have 13 more cents. Throw it in there. But also because the Proverbs, uh, chapter 14, verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors God. And I just want to thank you guys for honoring God and over and above what is normal. You've done a very good thing, and we pray that uh, God will bless that, and people will be saved, and and, um, more generosity will go out from those who've received. And so that's just a good thing. Okay, Mark 5, if you're there, we're going through Mark, we're in verse 21. So we're going to jump in and read. This is, this is, we're just going to read and talk through it. That's the best way to do this. It's narrative, which is a fancy way of saying story. So um, it's not abstract concepts like Paul's writings, um, where uh, you can read it first and then take it apart. This one we all kind of have to put on our sandals and walk together. So put your sandals on, and let's go back in time and just jump right in. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. Other side of what? Well, he was just... On the um, east side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Gentile side with a dude with demons, and he casts the demons out. Now he's coming back to the west side, the Jewish side. And when he gets there, a great crowd is gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. He can't even get out of the boat without word getting out to how great he is. Crowds are there to, to greet the boat, right? Um, they're there. Why? Because of the good things Jesus does. They're there because he's kind, he's good. People are attracted to God and his goodness. They are. They, they are. Sometimes you may feel like, a, I don't know if I want to talk to this person about Jesus because I, I, I feel uncomfortable, I might divide. You might, but initially I think people are attracted to God because of his goodness. And Jesus is displaying the goodness of God. He's healing people. Who, who doesn't like health? He's, he's being kind to people. He has relationships with people. He's, he's powerful, but yet he's not cruel. He, he uh, has wisdom, and he brings joy. He raises the dead. They, they're attracted to his goodness, which leads to a question, if we could run down this rabbit trail just for a second. Why would he be killed 
if, 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 if he's good. Um, that, keep that question in mind because it, it, it matters a lot to you today. When you have conversations with people today, who is Jesus? Um, if you watch uh, movies about Jesus, who, someone I was just talking to about, I don't remember who, um, uh, about this Jesus, one of the latest Jesus movies that was out. I think it was a remake of The Robe or something. And I think it was my daughter. And she said, the problem with that Jesus in that movie is no one would want to kill him. Right? You have to have a Jesus who someone wants to kill. Well, why do you want to kill someone who goes around healing everybody and being kind to people and teaching people? And that's what the world says. They'll, they'll say, you Christians are mean. You're horrible people. Um, you, you hate everybody. Um, have you ever run into that? And, and yet they make an exception for you because you're their friend. You know, all your, your Christians are hateful. Well, you say, what about me? Well, not you. You must, be, you must be one of the weird ones. But the rest of you are all hateful. I saw it on TV. But, but, they'll, but you say, well, what do you think of Jesus? Well, I like Jesus. People even are fond of a cute little saying, saying, it's not uh, Jesus I mind, it's his followers. And... and so Jesus is so kind, who would ever want to kill him? Well, there's where the issue is. Jesus is kind, but people do kill him. Why is that? Right now he has crowds. Eventually, often he weeds out the crowds. And the way he does it is he says, okay, you think I'm great, right? They go, yay, rah, rah, you. And then he says, good. Now, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to give up your life. And that's the dividing point. That's where we, it reveals the sin in the hearts of human beings. Uh, there's a lot of ways to describe the sin that's in us as Adam's children. It's in all of us. Uh, but one of the ways you can see it is a simple phrase, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Everyone's heard that. Everyone said that once to somebody. Or I don't, you're not going to take this job and shove it. You're not the boss of me anymore. You might have said that to someone. Or when you go off on your parents, when, when you were, you might be doing it now, stop it. God doesn't want you to do that. Or you may have done it when you were younger. That is sin. Sin always says, you're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of myself. And where Jesus runs into trouble with humans isn't all his good nature. It's when he gets to the point saying, well, do you like what you see? They say, yes, good. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, die, follow me, things like that. And they're like, well, we ain't following you. I mean, we like what you do, but I'd rather run my own life. That's always the tension point. And then he says, well, you can't because I am the Lord of the universe. Well, now he who used to be kind is getting to be kind of obnoxious. And then he says things like, I'm going to throw some people into hell because they won't follow me. Well, now we absolutely don't like them, right? That's where the tension point comes when you're talking to people. So don't be afraid to talk to them about Jesus. They'll like him. Just know you're going to get to the point of invitation. Okay, then give your life to him. Then it's going to get dicey. Then they might hate you, but go for it anyway because they might get saved and the stakes are worth it. Um, this is what the sin nature is like because there's no logic to it, is there? Isn't it logical that if God made you and he's good and he says, follow me, that you ought to, right? It, it's, 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 it should be a no-brainer. That, the problem isn't the brain. The problem is the sin in the brain. 
We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. Including God. And that's the nature of sin. Wants to be the ruler. So there's a tug of war going on. And many in this crowd who are there thinking how great he is won't like him after a while. Um, So let's move on. So there's a great crowd and, and right now it's the good times. They like him. There's no troubles. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. Very unusual thing. Try to imagine that as you're seeing it. A crowd is around Jesus. Here comes a ruler of a synagogue. Think very important person in the town. Small towns, people, a lot of the people know one another in this crowd, right? Um, Because they grew up with them. And here comes a very important person, a ruler of the synagogue. A synagogue, think church, church building, right? Not temple. There's only one temple. And it's in Jerusalem. It's the most important place. But you have little outposts where people worship called synagogues. And they are all have their own internal governments, right? They have their own elders. They have their own teachers. They have their own people who pay for them. And this guy is a ruler. So he's either a Pharisee, could be a priest, or he could just be a very rich guy in the town who pays for the thing. But he's very important. And people know this guy. Imagine the most important person you know personally I mean, not to you, but socially important. You know what I mean? Some people are socially important. The, the, the principal of, of your school, the president of your company, right? The, the most important person you know, he sees Jesus and he falls on the ground. He's got everyone's attention. And he implored Jesus earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Anyone who's a parent knows, can know how he feels. Anyone who's not a parent can imagine it, right? If it's your kid, you will do anything. And how well does he know Jesus? There's no reason to think he knows him very well, but his name is mentioned. Not a lot of people's names are mentioned in the Gospels. Um, no doubt he was a member of the church eventually after Jesus resurrected, but, but here... He, you know, Jesus is already a controversial figure among the elites, among the the Pharisees. They're already starting to argue with him. So he has no problem throwing away all his dignity and falling to the ground and begging a man. And have you ever begged somebody? I mean, really? My guess is you haven't. Unless it was your little brother who was threatened to beat you up and you were little. And that wasn't real begging, because as soon as he got up, you were going to go, meh. But it's really beg someone. It's a very rare thing in our time. We have such a blessed and wealthy nation. We're so safe. There's very few people who run around threatening to kill us. We don't beg very much, right? Unless you're the temptations. They ain't too proud to beg. But they're apparently stalkers, because I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If any man sings that to your daughter, get a gun. He's begging. That's a spectacle. Why? Because this is his little daughter. Okay, now it makes sense. I'd do anything if my daughter's life was in in, in jeopardy. Anything. And he apparently thinks, (laughs) I know this guy's reputation. She's dying. What good luck? He just got off the boat. And Jesus went with him. I think that's kind of cool of Jesus, right? (laughs) Jesus, okay. 
You know, he's got this whole crowd and they all want his attention. They all want to hear what he's going to do next. And he's like, okay. He's probably going because the guy's so rich and important, right? Not Jesus, but, but he didn't hate rich and important people either. We live in a country that divides everybody against each other by their identity. So you're supposed to hate rich people, take their stuff. No, he doesn't. He treats everyone the same. Okay, I'll come heal your daughter. Sure. He, he trucks off. And look, it says there's a great crowd that followed and thronged about him. You see this whole moving crowd, right? First, he can't move as fast. It kind of reminds me of if, if you've ever been on the sidelines of, a, of, of, a, of the youngest age that your kid can play soccer. It doesn't matter what that coach is doing, yelling from the sideline to tell them to do something. Wherever the ball is, there's, there's 24 kids going, you know, forget positions. There's just like a cloud of kids moving around the field. Take that, multiply it by thou, a couple thousand people, and that's Jesus trying to get to this dude's house. I, I think there's a beautiful irony here. This guy's a synagogue leader. So worship is obviously important to him on some level. If he's sincere, it's very important. If he's insincere, he wants it to be seen as it's important to him. A synagogue is a place that you would go, much like the buildings we're all sitting in now, and, um, and you would go and you would say, let's gather together in the name of God, read his word, pray, sing to him, hear teaching, right? It's a place you go to find God. Here's the irony of this that I think is beautiful. This guy's a synagogue leader. He's not in the synagogue, <laughs> He went out and just got the God of the synagogue, <laughs> right? The synagogue leader is like, synagogue's over there, but if I want God, he's actually over here. I'm just going to go get him and bring him to my house. And I don't, there's a sermon illustration in there somewhere. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something beautiful about a God that will come to your house. You know, he, you, know you don't have to come to a building to find God. Um, you know, he, he, he'll go with you. But in any case, um, so the whole crowd's going along. Um, everybody's going to go. Let's all go. Okay, verse 25. And then there was a woman who had a discharge of blood. This is a, a, uh, a, another story, right? Like you're watching a show, and it's all about this person, and then the scene shifts, and now it's about this person. So Jairus is like, hurry up, my daughter's dying. I'm begging you, come on, let's go. It's very urgent. But there's another woman who had her own agenda. She probably didn't know Jairus' daughter was sick or didn't care, she had an agenda. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years. We're not told more. I don't want to know anymore. That's enough for me. And, but she'd also suffered under many physicians. So she suffered, could you imagine spending all your money for 12 years on physicians? Actually, now that Obamacare is here, you can do it in about 10 minutes. <laughs> a little social joke there. <laughs> but no... <laughs> Seriously, seriously. Um, what was it back in, uh, did you know that George Washington, one of the reasons they think he died was because he was bled. Now they say he died of pneumonia, but he was literally, he was dying of something that had to do with breathing in the lung. But one of the things they did is they bled him, which didn't help him. It took oxygen away from him. Because in the 1800s, they were still bleeding people, thinking that would help, right? This was not, this was, this was, this was 1800 years before that. Imagine the state of medicine at that time. She suffered much. 
Which meant maybe she had some sort of means for a while. And she spent all she could to get healed. She's a Jewish woman who can't stop bleeding, which means she's always unclean. Can never go to temple. And she spends all this money, all this time. She has a chronic illness. Doctors, she probably hates doctors. Because she's, and I love doctors, but her doctors must, she suffered. But it didn't get better, it got worse. Well, she had heard the reports about Jesus. She'd heard. He was off across the, the sea dealing with some demoniac, or maybe she heard him when he was over somewhere else, but hey, there's this dude. He's from Nazareth. Nazareth? Is there, is there anyone in Nazareth? Oh, that's just where you stop your caravan when your kids have to go to the restroom, you know. No, really, this guy came from Nazareth, and, and uh, he heals anyone he wants to. So she, she hears this report. She's never met him, apparently. She comes up behind him in the crowd and touches his garment. Now, it's a crowd, which means she had to work that thing. Some people think she crawled. I don't know if she crawled. I don't know if she, I don't know what she did. <laughs> uh, well, another place said touch the hem, so they think she was down. I don't know what she did, but she wanted to touch that garment. She's thinking it's magic. He has magic clothes. If I touch them, magic's going to come on me. She said, if I touch his garments, I'll be made well. Well, immediately, the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She, I fundamentally feel well. Fundamentally feel well. There's a lot of people who deal with chronic illnesses, maybe chronic back pain, chronic stomach pain, chronic anything pain. And they would be able to tell you in a minute if it was just gone. They'd be able to say, it's gone. I know it's gone. And this is her. She's like, Imagine her emotions at that point. It worked. It worked. It worked. I feel great. Now is the time to do split. I got to get out of here. Before he finds out, I just stole from, from the medicine, the witch doctor. And he's not a witch doctor, but you don't know what she's thinking. I just stole from the healer man, right? The shaman. I snuck up on the prophet and I stole it, but I feel great. Which means what? This changes everything. I can go clean myself up, and I have, it's like being born all over again. But Jesus didn't come to heal her body, did he? I mean, he did, and it was healed, but what did he really come to heal? He came to heal her soul. Because she, like you and I, is a sinner. She needs her sins taken away, and he's going to die on the cross for her. And he wants a relationship with her. He doesn't want it to be mechanical. You know, touch the rock, rub the stone, get good luck, rub the belly of the Buddha, get good luck, right? Well, that, that's no relationship. You're just doing things to get good luck. Go to church and God will like you. That's just another good luck idea, isn't it? Right? I'm just going to go to church and if I go to church, I know God will be good to me. That's the same as a good luck charm. You just got to figure out what you got to do to the God to get him to, to spit out a little blessing, Pray five times to the east and get good, good fortune. And that's how she looked at it. That's how a lot of us look at it. That's how humans look at God, I think. He's a dispenser of good fortunes to the lucky. But what does he want? He wants friendship with you, with humans, whom he made in his image. So he's not going to let her get away. 
not, she's got some really bad theology right now. <laughs> He's got to catch her. But first, let's, let's do a summary statement. In the same way that this woman reached out and touched his garment, anyone here today who reaches out to Jesus in faith can have their sins and guilt washed away. You can have a second chance at life and a clean start. You can be born again. There's a phrase in John 3, 3. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That this born from heaven. You have to have a change inside you if you want to go to heaven, if you want to see God, if you want to live forever, if you want your sins forgiven, you must be born again. Well, how does that happen? The same way, the, the simplicity of this picture, of this woman saying, if I touch him, I will be healed. Keep that picture in your mind. It's, this, it's just that simple. If I will believe in him, he will heal my soul. Isn't that beautiful? So what about you? Are you sick with guilt over something you've done? All who reach out will find he forgives. Well, anyway, let's, let's get back to the story. Verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. What an amazing phrase. People get really freaky about this phrase, trying to explain it. I'm not going to get freaky, but I will explain it. Well, actually, I am kind of freaky, but I won't get weird on the explanation. Immediately, he turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? Now, Jairus is saying, I don't care who touched your garment. My daughter's dying. You know, we're, we're cruising with the crowd, and now Jesus stops. Imagine Jairus. He's like, dang, I guess, mushugana, whatever a Jew would say. Can we keep... Moving? Stop. And then he asks a strange question. Who touched my clothes? He's in a crowd. They're pressing around him. And that's what his disciples said. You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Now, we never get tones of voice. The Bible is not a novel. It is facts given to us by eyewitnesses. A novelist would have told us the tone of voice there, and I'd like to know it. Were they offended? Were they shocked? I think they were shocked, not offended. What are you talking about? (laughs) Lots of people are touching your clothing right now. I can count 20 right now, Jesus. This phrase, power had gone out of him. This isn't hard to interpret, okay? Jesus did not consciously choose to heal her. People trip over that because Jesus is God and we know that God knows everything. There is a mystery called the hypostatic union, which it's important. It'd be good if you could remember that word hypostatic, but if you can't, just remember this. Jesus is fully God and fully human. And the reason it's a mystery is that our brain cannot understand how God can know everything at once. Jesus is the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's God. And yet at the same time, be born as a little baby and have to learn how to speak Hebrew from scratch. How, do, how can you be God, the divine, and know everything, but can only say goo goo gaga for a little while? You know, our brains aren't going to put that together. What you need to know, though, is that is what is revealed in the Bible. That Jesus existed forever as spirit, as God, and he always knows everything. He doesn't Forget it when he becomes a human. He always knows everything in his divine nature, but somehow within his human nature, he limits himself. He makes himself small for us. 
So he does not know at this point. He didn't choose to heal her. A transaction happened. Well, then how did she get healed? Who's the only one who could do this? God. God the Father. God the Father healed this woman. She had faith in his son. That's how he heals everybody through Jesus, even the ones who he knows he's healing. In other words, it's another part of the hypostatic union that can be hard to grasp. And at the risk of confusing us all, I'm just going to throw it out there. The man Christ Jesus never healed anybody. Because human beings don't have the power of miraculous healing. Now, you may be a surgeon, right? You may be something in the medical professions, the chiropractic or sports therapy, and you may be able to help move parts around, but you can't heal a body. You can aid it by removing the cancer. (laughs) That helps, I'm certain. But if the body doesn't heal itself, it's not getting healed. And really, it's not healing itself. God's doing it. But no one can miraculously heal. And if Jesus became a man, if he's truly one of us, he can't do it either. Again, do not, this is where I could get confused. You can, some of you will say he's a heretic and stop coming to church here. Don't do that. Look it up and see if I'm right. (laughs) So then how does he heal? God heals through him. And that's how the Bible says it. He is a spirit-filled man. Look at what Peter says in Acts 2.22 when in the very first Christian sermon made by someone who's not Jesus. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, look how he defines him, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and signs and wonders that who did through him? God. That God did through him in your midst. Now he's a perfect man. He's got the Holy Spirit. In a way, we didn't because he had no sins. And in some sense, he was showing us what he could do as a man who had perfect trust in the Father. And he said things like, I only do what the Father tells me. He's waiting for God to tell him. Well, this time, the Father didn't tell him. Father, just go ahead and I'll handle this. She touched it, boom, power goes out. He goes, whoa, what the heck was that? He didn't say what the heck was that. Well, he might have, I don't know. In, in, in some sort of Yiddish, you know. <laughs> I don't know what he said, but, but one thing he says is, who touched me? Who touched me? Who did that? And he's going to attend to it. Perhaps in the Holy Spirit, God says, I want you to stop and find this person. Uh, And we just don't know that. So he's looking for her. But verse 33, the woman, she's trying to make her exit stage left. She, She wants to make a getaway. Knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down. This is the second person in the story to fall down in front of Jesus. People see Jesus, they fall down. And... Why is she so scared? The Bible doesn't tell us. I sit and think about it, and you can sit and think about what are the things that would make this woman scared. Um, One, just being found out, I'm guessing. Two, maybe she really did think she stole something from a power man. She doesn't know Jesus. She doesn't know his goodness and his kindness, not yet. She's heard stories. She's never met him. She's like, I just stole some healing. I need to get out of here before he takes it back. Or maybe being... A Jew being unclean for 12 years. She's just been so ashamed to be in public. I mean, some people, probably not everyone who saw her. She probably had family and friends. But many people wouldn't go near 
Definitely priests wouldn't. She's unclean. Maybe she was embarrassed. Remember, these are a lot of the people there are her townsfolks. They know her. She's not a stranger. And maybe she just, maybe she, she'd been embarrassed about this for years. The last thing she wants, maybe she's just horribly shy. You know what I mean? Some of you are like that. If, if just in the crowd you're sitting in, if, if everyone turned and stopped and looked at you and said, could you talk to us? You'd be like, I got to get out of here. You'd crawl under the chair. And this powerful one, this holy one, turns. And look with that. She, she told him the whole truth. She told him everything. What's he going to do? Is he going to kill me? He doesn't. He's very gentle. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He calls her daughter. Beautiful, isn't it? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, that doesn't mean her faith healed her, right? Faith doesn't heal you, but you need faith to please God. And God was pleased with her faith, so he healed her. God, Jesus can heal folks who don't even ask for it. You could be faithless, he could heal you. In this case, he wants her to know your faith, it wasn't my clothing that did it. I don't have magic clothes that you can touch. That's not what did the trick. He doesn't, you know, Christians should stay away from any kind of talisman, any kind of, you know, this is one of the problems with art of Jesus or, or ritual things, statues, candles. Is, is you can start to think they have some sort of holy value. They do not. And Jesus, even my clothes. I mean, Romans are probably gonna take that and rip, you know, some Roman is gonna throw dice for those clothes later and I don't think they're gonna be magic clothes. It wasn't that. It was your faith. He's very gentle. Her life has changed forever because she met Jesus. My guess, and this is only a guess, is she joined the church. She had faith. She met Jesus. If she lived another couple years, she'd live past the resurrection to the time when the apostles are planting the churches, and she'd join, and, right? So they knew her. They didn't put her name. They leave a lot of names out. I don't know why. Verse 35. While she was speaking, (laughs) very nervous Jairus is like, okay, okay, could you give the Cliff Notes version, lady? My kid's dying. Okay, he didn't say that. But if he was from New Jersey, he'd have said it like that. (laughs) Right? I mean, aren't you getting a little impatient here? There came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Oh, why bother the teacher? How's he going to react to that? Well, tune in again next week because we're not going to look right now. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) That's where we're going to take up the story next week. For this week, I want to look at three principles that apply to what we've learned so far. There's just too much text to hit it all in one sermon. So three principles to apply and then we'll be finished from what we learned so far. One, women are valued by Jesus with as much importance as he values men. Shouldn't have to be pointed out, almost shouldn't have to be said, but feminists have rewritten history to try to make it feel like 
no woman was ever treated well until Gloria Steinem came along. And some of you saying, who? Don't worry about it. Like all women were just beaten, oppressed, and, you know, kept barefoot in, in the root cellar having babies. And the husband would just come get her when he needed something and then throw her back down there. Jesus, it's no small thing to notice that all his attention on all these verses, a big chunk of the Gospel of Mark is on two women. A little girl whose name um, we don't yet know and a woman whose name we're never, we never, we never learn her name. But that's who they're about. He, he doesn't say... <laughs> got any sick men around here? These are second-class citizens. Modern feminism oversimplifies the roles of men and women in the past and today. Don't, just don't believe this history. If you read history with an open mind and see what's really there, see what's really there. <laughs> women are not always oppressed at all times. It's true since the fall, men have brutish power that they can use to exert over women. But that doesn't mean all men have always been brutes and all women have always been oppressed. It's just silly. It's just not a right reading of history. The idea that a happy wife means a happy life was not invented in 1980. Wise men have known it throughout time. And men like Jairus, who loved and adored their daughters, weren't, didn't just start being born after... You know, Jane Fonda came along. Fact, if your daughters act like f- angry feminists, it's probably really hard to love them. You know, you might say, just let them go, Jesus. Give me enough. No, just kidding. That was just a joke. <laughs> she's always angry and yelling at me, so now she's sick. <laughs> just kidding. I'm getting in trouble. Jesus never restricted his teaching to men. An amazing thing. Because even by that time, many of the, uh, the Pharisees wouldn't teach women. He meant Mary and Martha. Sit at a, actually, he told Martha, would you quit cooking long enough to sit down and let me teach you? He never restricted it. And they were always welcome. And there were, always business, there were a lot of business women in the first century, Rome. I know, I know. There was no such thing as a woman in business till 1970s. But that's really not true. The Bible says that it was wealthy women who actually supplied the apostles and Jesus so they could do their work. Lydia would be a businesswoman of obviously some means because a church, she had a house big enough to hold a church. But no one has made more of an impact on the value of humans than Jesus. Wherever Christianity goes, Women are treated better and children are treated well. Just study history. No one is allowed to set women on fire for being bad wives in Western Europe or in the United States because Jesus thinking got there. Go to India and Hindus are allowed to set their wives on fire. Burn the food, burn the wife, you know. Orphanages have been historically hospitals, Christians. It's very important that we catch that Jesus never taught 
treated anyone as second class. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons. He saw all people as equal in value. Women, children, old, young, sick, well, rich, poor, handicapped as we call them, or physically challenged or whatever. Jew, Gentile, slave, free. He, he saw all as equal. And this is important because here's the part where your culture is going to miss this and you need to get this or you're not going to be equipped to answer questions in the world you live in. He didn't see them as if they had no distinctions. We live in a day of what I would call social Marxism. The, the communist idea that everyone should have exactly the same thing, right? Everyone should have the exact same amount of money, the exact same house, the exact same everything. Marxism. It's a bad idea that's never worked. Well, I think we have social Marxism today. If I'm a man, I can be a woman. If I'm a woman, I can be a man. Who are you to tell me I can't? You know, it, if, if you can be a, a pastor and you're a man, if I'm a woman, I can be a pastor. It was the silliest thing in the, in the, in the British newspaper. They, they, they wrote this paper. It says, uh, this man has ha- had a baby. It wasn't a man, it was a woman. It was a transgendered woman, which is, I mean, it's a woman <laughs> who wants to be a man. And he had a ba- she, she had a baby. But we, we live among social Marxists. Don't tell me I have to be the one to have the baby and stay home and watch the baby. There, there's distinctions. You're still a woman and a man's still a man. The, val- the issue isn't one of value. And Jesus, the great, he valued everyone the same, but he only 12 chose 12 male apostles. He was downright patriarchal when it came to leadership. But he wouldn't put up, I'm certain, with any man who beat or oppressed a wife or any woman. So you just should note, Jesus didn't need to be liberated. He didn't need Helen Gurley Brown. He already loves men, women, boys. If you're born a woman, be happy. If you're born a man, be happy. It's good. Second, Jesus' followers should respond to people with the kindness and generosity that Jesus does. How can you not look at this and see, first, he's got to be whooped. I mean, emotionally, he got to be tired. He just got done casting out a bunch of demons, taking a couple of boat rides. One out of a big storm. Now you're on the way back. When does this man sleep? He tried to sleep during a storm, and all the dudes yelled at him, don't you care? We're perishing. He's like, I can't get any shut-eye, not even in a storm. He goes, he got to cast out demons. Now people say, get out of here, you're scary. So he gets back in the boat, he gets over, and there's a crowd walking everywhere he goes. He's got to be tired. But this man is begging him. He does not help her because he's an egomaniac. I'm going to go show off. He could show off whenever he wanted to. He's got all the power at his fingertips because he's the son of God, and God will do anything, he says. He does it because he understands that this man's sorry because his poor daughter is dying. It's compassion. And then there's this woman who, let's say it this way, God knows what she was feeling. And I didn't mean that as a saying. God really knew. (laughs) And he's like, I have time for you too. In your day, (laughs) in my day, your regular day, it can be easy to have no time for people. Except for what you need them for. Oh, I have time for people. 
I went down to that store and got that lady to give me what I needed. I went to the doctor, got that guy to do what I needed. I went over here and got this person to do what I needed. And then I needed this, and then I needed that, and then I needed this. I had a lot of time for people. Really? Look at Jesus. He's your example. A great thing about being a Christian is we don't have any rules except love. And the main example is Jesus. Whatever you see him do, you do. Do you realize that that means everyone you see matters? I mean, everyone you see. There's nothing more embarrassing to me than Christians who see service people as invisible or as people to be ordered around. Nothing more embarrassing to me. Right? <laughs> nothing, nothing worse than that. Just to see people as just speed bumps that you, you go through life. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If, if anyone had an excuse to be like that, it was Jesus. You know, Jairus, tell you what, I'll get to that later. I got a lot of folks here. Bring your daughter here, why don't you? I'm busy. Everybody matters. Everybody matters. There's no unimportant people. Unimportant people, there's none. Now, this isn't for you to turn around and say, that's right, I'm not unimportant, so everyone needs to give me time. You just blew it. You're, you're the giver of love. And finally, Jesus is a soul healer. And he won't turn you away, just like he wouldn't turn that woman away. So if you haven't had your sins forgiven, you need them forgiven. You are a sinner. You will run into the problem. Jesus is cool, but there'll, a, a moment will come and say, but I ain't gonna follow him because he wants everything from me. He want, do you know what he wants? He wants to say he's Lord of my life. What is he, God? Who died and made you God? That's what we say to one another when people tell us what to do. No one died, he is God. And he became a man and he did die for you. God didn't die. Jesus, here's the hypostatic union again. This is freaky. Jesus never died in his divine nature, but he did die as a man. And then he rose on the third day. And the reason he went through that wasn't because it makes a cool story that Mel Gibson can make movies about. Well, it does, but that's not why. He did it so that when you reach out to him like that woman did, not for the healing of your body, You'll get a new one of those if you get the healing of the soul, but for the healing of your soul. So if you reach out, he can say, yes, my blood has paid for your sins. He won't let you just touch him and run, though. I'm going to pray a quick prayer and get out of here. No, no, no. He's going to say, hey, 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 who touched me? I want to get to know you. What's your name? Tell me your story. You get eternal health as a follower of Jesus. You know what Jesus said in John 6? What, Mike? I'll tell you. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. I think that's beautiful because he's not talking about bread or water. He's talking, if bread, if he's not talking about bread, you eat because he says he's the bread that gives life. Physical bread doesn't give you life. It sustains the life you already have in your body. He's saying, I'm the bread. If you eat it, you get real life, life that lives forever. Human beings are unsatisfied. Anyone who believes in evolution 
you've got to be the most miserable people in the world because you, you must realize that according to your belief, human beings have arrived at this level where they are the most dissatisfied biological creature on the planet. You will never, ever, ever go outside and see cats saying, dang, I've got to change my clothes. Does this... Look at that cat. She has so much nicer nails than I do. I'm going to go get my nails done. You never, you never, you're not going to see butterflies flying around saying, I'm so unhappy with life, aren't you? Yeah, I thought I'd be satisfied when I got out of that chrysalis thing, but we're the most unsatisfied people on the, things on the planet. You know why? Have you ever thought to yourself, it should be better than this. Any of you ever thought of that? If, if you have, you've just joined every other person on the planet who can think. Where did we all get the same strange idea that it, it's supposed to be better than this? I'll tell you where. It is supposed to be better than this. But our sin is what causes us to be dissatisfied. There's no solution because sin and death are the same, except Jesus. I am the bread of life. You're unsatisfied, I'll satisfy you. You're thirsty, he's talking about your soul, not your throat, I'll satisfy you. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I won't cast out. You can come to him just like that woman. She didn't know what was gonna happen when she touched his clothes. It was gonna be the best day of her life. She had no idea. It was just shot in the dark. It's not like that with Jesus. She didn't know it. She could count on him. Same with you. Do you feel guilty for what you've done? Shame for your sin? Dissatisfied? Just reach out by faith. There's two categories of people in this room. Those who are saved, followers of Jesus, and those who aren't yet. And if you're not yet, that can change in an instant. Just be like the woman. In the midst of the crowd, you reach out. He's not going to hear me with all these people. Oh, yeah, he will. <laughs> yes, he will. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.